2: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. CTmobile.com.
1: Tommy Kester, this is Sports Daily on Wichita's number one sports radio, 97.5 and 1240 KFH.
3: And welcome in everybody, Thursday edition of Sports Daily. Always a lot of fun here on the program on Thursdays. Our buddy Tim Fitzgerald, uh, Life of Fitz on Twitter. GoPowerCat.com will break down the big Farmageddon showdown this week, and that's coming up at the top of the next hour. A little later in this hour, Chelsea Messenger, our betting insider, joins in, and uh, it will be... A lot of fun to go with her through some of her best bets. we got some Thursday night football plays, it looks like, from Chelsea, as well as some props and some games throughout the weekend. Here we go on this Thursday edition. Uh, Tommy Castor, Jacob Albrock here. Jad Chambers producing for us, 869-1240, as always, is the number to call. We'll be talking a lot of football, and we're going to be talking a lot of baseball today, Tommy. Here we go. Royals cleaning house, and, man, they're not wasting Anytime.
2: Yeah, it was like, what, two or three hours after the conclusion of the regular season finale that uh, J.J. Piccolo announced that Mike Matheny and Cal Eldred will not return for the 2023 season. So not wasting any time. And, uh, yeah, we now we've got a, a conversation about what the future of the Royals organization will look like.
3: Yeah, here we go. So Matheny's out. Eldred's out. I mean, the Royals were the worst staff in the American League by almost every metric. All the investments they made in young, high floor arms, some of the best college pitchers we'd seen. And it just, you know, that plan hasn't worked out. And Royals fans have been clamoring for that. Mike Matheny, uh, the extension that he got before the season made no sense to me. Uh, Maybe it did to some people. The bottom line is this, of all the losing seasons recently, this one to me is by far the most disappointing because the expectation was this was supposed to be the year, all the losing, all the high draft picks, all of it coming together for this year. And it fell flat on its face and it stings hard because what we don't know now is, is the rebuild starting over? Like where, where is this thing going? But what we know now is it's not going in the same direction, at least as far as a leadership position, because Dayton Moore's out, Mike Matheny's out, Cal Eldred's out. There's supposed to be, you know, you hear rumors that a lot more of this is coming. It's a fire sale, and I I don't know what that means for the immediate future, but it sends a clear message that for the long-term future, this organization is going to go in a different direction.
2: Well, it's incredibly disappointing because – you know like you i i had higher expectations for the royals coming into this season i really thought that they could be at least above 500 that was kind of where my thought process was i wasn't sure that this was going to be the year that they could maybe challenge for a playoff berth but i did think okay there there should be some substantial improvement from last year to this year. And it went the opposite direction. They finished the season with a worse record than they did a year ago. And, you know, I'm with you. That extension for Mike Matheny made no sense. And to be quite frank, I never liked Mike Matheny as the hire in the first place, even though it was something that everybody knew was probably going to happen. When he joined the front office back in 2018, Ned Yo stepped down in 2019. And then it just seemed like, all right, well, he's going to end up, you know, managing the team. I didn't like it. I, I, I'm not a big Mike Matheny fan. I feel like he's a little out of touch. I feel like he doesn't do a great job of uh, necessarily uh, really working with his players all that well, or at least relating to them uh, in in a good way. And then Cal Eldred, the fact that they stuck with him throughout the entire season as the pitching coach, you know, there's a lot of loyalty that Matheny has to his coaching staff, um, but that really signaled the downfall for both of them. So one thing that I think is really interesting about this entire move – is the fact that we've seen, and we talked about this when Dayton Moore was let go, about how, you know, the word loyalty, how loyal Dayton Moore was to his people, whether it's players, coaches, managers, whatever. And now this is kind of a different breed of what we're seeing with the Royals. Like, I feel like in typical Royals fashion, had this been something that they had done, you know, similar to a way that they had done it before, we probably would still have Mike Matheny as manager. Uh, they probably wouldn't have fired Dayton Moore, but John Sherman realizes that they've got to make some changes right now if they want to try to – Alter the direction of the ship and so you know i I think the right obviously we all knew the writing was on the wall when dayton moore was let go that mike Matheny was going to be the next one to get his walking papers uh so i think you know yeah i'm with you there's a lot of questions about what direction this franchise moves in the young uh the young players that they have are they going to be guys that they're going to stick with long term or is this going to be just a complete overhaul of this organization
3: it's an overhaul. I mean it is. Look, they they are making that clear. John Sherman made that clear in the Dayton Moore press conference, as painful as that was uh to do, but it 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 has to be done. I mean, I, I don't know like you know, you're you're treading that line of indifference in the fan base again and you know, attendance is down and all of these things. And when the chiefs are really good and soccer's taken off in the area and all of these things play into obviously college basketball's a huge factor in the region. You've got to maintain relevance if you're going to do it. And if you want to build a stadium downtown and all these things, you just can't keep being one of the worst teams in baseball. And it's not like they're not being aggressive. They're being aggressive, right? Like they're doing things that, they're not trying to lose. I think for a long time, the fan base, there probably would have been people that said they don't really care and they're not really trying to win. I remember hearing that about, you know, the glass ownership group. Then they have the World Series, and I don't feel like, I you know, because let me let me figure out how I want to say this. Like, the moves that they've made over the years, I haven't thought were egregious. I'm with you on Matheny. That never made sense. But as far as the roster's concerned, like none of the moves to me were egregious. Maybe they should have traded Whit Merrifield, but they thought he would be in a window to win. They were wrong about that. Now, they got that wrong, but the decision at the time didn't bother me as much as it did some people. Um, the players that they've gone after and they've drafted haven't had an issue with those. Now, evaluating baseball talent is a big key factor in all this and and I don't know but what I do know is generally speaking everybody has loved the way that the royals have tried to do this so then is it a development issue or or did they miss yes. on all of those players it appears to be more of a development issue than it does we literally for a, for an organization that has valued scouting the way that it has over the years Right, that that is a little old school in that methodology. They can't have missed on all of these guys. So yeah, then it becomes a developmental issue. And I think we've all known that. It's why people have been so frustrated that they haven't been willing to make a change there. Well, now they're changing everything, right? And so is it too late for all the players they've already drafted? That part, I, I don't know the answer to that. Is it a situation where... They get the right people in. All these guys get on track, and now they're going to become free agents all about the same time, which would be even more frustrating, right? It's, yeah. I mean, all of these things are are there, but you know, they may be late to the party on this. They really thought this was going to be the year, and and I did too, but that was based on players developing and pitching, especially.
2: They just didn't develop. Well, yeah, I mean, to your point about pitching, you know, and we mentioned Cal Eldred what a horrible hire that was. And, you know, so you look at the, the scouting and the drafting piece, which, you know, I, I agree with you. I think that they've done a pretty good job in the positions that they've had to draft decently well. I mean, the Bobby Witt Jr. draft pick was a no-brainer. That was perfect. There have been a few other guys that they've drafted high up. Ace Alesi is one of them that looked like a sure thing. Uh, it's the development, and they've got a pitching coach in the big leagues. Not anymore, but they did have a pitching coach in the big leagues who had never been a pitching coach before. And this is who they have running their organization from a pitching perspective. And that that was a major mistake because there's no way – to develop these guys, and we saw that, like you mentioned, they finished dead last in the American League in nearly every single metric. And so the, the development, the improvement, working on these players, getting them in a position to be successful long-term just wasn't there. Uh, and going back to Mike Matheny, there are certain managers or certain types of managers that ball clubs want to hire to oversee a rebuild. And I don't think Mike Matheny is that kind of manager. And I think that there's a kind of manager that he is that can be successful. We saw him have a good amount of success with the Cardinals you know, during that stretch about a decade ago. But he had a, a roster of players that were incredibly talented and seasoned and veterans and – You know, I'm not necessarily sure that Matheny's strength was overseeing a young core of players and guiding them in a rebuild. And I remember back to, you know, all the controversy in St. Louis when he was there about how he wasn't connecting with rookies and how in some cases he kind of let the veterans run the clubhouse and treat the rookies poorly. Well, he had an entire clubhouse full of rookies for the most part in Kansas City. And I the entire time I just thought I'm not sure he's going to be able to relate to these guys very well. You know, it takes a different kind of manager to manage, you know, 21, 22, 23 year olds who are wet behind the ears. And I just don't think that's Mike Matheny. So if John Sherman and JJ Piccolo want to commit to this crop of young talent, they're going to need to bring in a manager that can shepherd them along and help develop them in their careers. You know, I think that one of the big arguments over the last year or two is that they rushed some of these players to the big leagues when they weren't necessarily ready. I think of Daniel Lynch, a perfect perfect example of that is somebody who just was not ready to be in the major leagues a year ago. They need somebody who can help develop those guys if they're going to commit to them. And if they're not, then that's a whole different kind of strategy altogether.
3: Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, that's the, the biggest problem with all of this is, okay, yeah, Royals fans, you've wanted this, this is here now, but now what, right? Yeah. Like, it can't just be that, okay, they got everybody out of there, they cleaned house, now everything's going to be great again. It's not that simple, obviously, because it's been so hard to rebuild. And the challenge in that is, is getting greater and greater and greater. Look at the payrolls in Major League Baseball right now, right? So you've got the top five payrolls in baseball. Those are the teams in the postseason. You've got seven of the top nine and 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 uh, I believe 10 of the top 12, or maybe it's 10 of the top 13 or 14, whatever it is. Those are the teams in the playoffs. And then Seattle's in there as a middle-of-the-road payroll, Tampa's in there because they always are as a low payroll and Cleveland's in there as a, as a very low payroll. So the odds are already stacked against you. Teams that spend more have a much better chance. Uh, I mean, it's not rocket science, right? <laughs> teams that spend more have a better chance to make the postseason. Yeah. The teams that don't typically are the teams that aren't in the playoffs outside of the Rays. Who are in there almost constantly cleveland's done a really good job Um, and that's about it as far as teams that are consistently there and the royals guess what they're down near the bottom and they're going to stay down near the bottom it's not going to change so you have to get it right you have to invest like tampa does as much as it drives me nuts because i think it's harder to get on board with the way that they play but it's the way that they have to do it right as a small market team you're never going to be able to go compete for the big ticket free agents. You have to piece it together like that. You can't you'll never be able to do that if you can't develop young talent. And while they've done a relatively good job of developing young hitters, they've been they've been pretty good at that. They have done an awful job historically, not just in this administration that was basically blown up, but in every administration. How many great pitchers have the Royals ever developed? By the way, they play their games in a pitcher's park. But how like it's it's mind-boggling that they have been so bad at this for so long. And I don't know what you can do as an organization, but if I'm John Sherman, I go do whatever. I, I will go pay the most for a pitching development staff. Like whatever it takes to do that. Because until they can do that, they're never going to win consistently. They can have all the best hitters in the world, and they've had some great ones. And they might have some great ones right now. Great hitters and no pitching win you about 65 games a year. It just doesn't work. Trust me, as a Texas Rangers fan,
2: (laughs) it does not work. I also look at this from the perspective of John Sherman and where he's at as owner of the Royals. And he's made it very clear that his passion project is a downtown stadium. You think that the voters, you think that the fan base are going to be willing to get behind that project if a team is, win- is losing 95 to 100 games a year? I don't think so. So this is a critical hire for J.J. Piccolo and for John Sherman to bring somebody in. And not just one person, right? Like, it's an entire staff of people bringing in a brand new staff to help develop this team and get them into a position to be competitive. And and so John Sherman can then, you know, fulfill his passion project of a new stadium. That's really ultimately what his number one priority is right now. So they've got to make sure that if that's what he wants to do, that they they start to get competitive here in the next couple of years. That way they can get a re-energized fan base behind them.
3: Yeah, and and it's going to get harder and harder to re-energize the fan base. And I do think the Royals have a great fan base, but my goodness, nobody's going to pay to come watch a losing team. And I don't—I've never got on board with that sentiment that you hear sometimes of like, "Well, just come anyway, be a true fan." No BS, man. I'm not going to go spend my money on a crap product. Like I'm not going to do that, especially not now. I have too many other options, right? I can. Yeah. I could do anything. I'm not going to go spend 50 bucks and take my family to watch a crappy baseball game. I'm not going to do it. So get better. Or, you know, this cycle. And I'm not. Look, I I think that Dayton Moore has done a phenomenal job for the hand he was dealt. It It has not been good lately, but they went to two World Series. He's a loyal person. He's a good person. That that's all there, but what has happened in the last three or four years just can't happen. There was always going to be a rebuild, right? We knew that coming out of the World Series years. That's the cyclical nature of being a small market team. I think everybody can be on board with that, right? You knew that core that had come up that won a World Series, there was no chance that those guys were coming back in free agency. They tried to pick a few spots they took care of Salvi, they misread Alex Gordon a little bit, like they you know, they tried to pick a few spots to to extend and do things and and keep it together and it you know great, but they haven't they, they haven't done anything since. Like remove Bobby Witt Jr. from the equation, right? Because he's can't miss, can't miss prospect that you spent a, a high draft capital on. That literally everybody would have So let's remove Bobby Witt Jr. from the equation. Salvi was there. Outside of those two guys. And let's be real honest with this. What is there? Like, what are you hanging your hat on as an organization for what you've been doing for now the last seven years since
2: 2015? Um, I mean, unproven talent. Guys for that seven you're, you're, years, right? You yeah, basically unproven. have Salvi,
3: yep, and now Bobby Witt Jr., who again, Bobby Witt Jr.'s a can't miss type of prospect anyway, right? So either
2: un, either unproven talent or players like Witt Merrifield who had produced, but they hung on to him for too long. Uh, the, that's what they've done for the last seven years, and so those decisions in the front office they need to be reevaluated with a brand new staff that comes in. And I know that there's going to be a ton of speculation, especially as more managers continue to either retire or, you know, get fired, whatever, that there's this carousel going on like there is every year about who's going to be the potential candidate for what team. And I'm sure that there's a list of several people that John Sherman and JJ Piccolo are already thinking about. And I don't want to necessarily advocate for this person. But there's a name that kind of comes to mind that might be absolutely bonkers. It might be somebody that, you know, I think that some Royals fans would say hell no. But probably, I mean, there might be a contingent of Royals fans that could get excited about it. What about Carlos Beltran? You know, he was the the Mets manager, or for a minute was the Mets manager, before getting let go with the whole Astros situation. Of course, he played, uh, you know, a number of years in Kansas City, started his career in the organization. I'm sure wants to get back into, you know, management somewhere. That could be a name to keep an eye on. I'm not necessarily saying that's the best choice, but that could be somebody.
3: I I don't know, man. I, I just, I, I wouldn't do that. I, I wouldn't do that if I were them. He's He's got a cloud. Like, I, I'm less worried about the manager right now because I'm not, totally convinced that they're ready to win right now. I mean, look, we warned you what would happen when you called up basically a A roster to the big leagues, right? Like, yep. I know everybody wanted the young players, and some of them are going to be pretty good players, but I don't know how you can realistically, obviously we'll see what happens in free agency, but I don't know how you could realistically look and say, oh, this team will be ready to compete next year, right? So There's no way. I don't think that I'm as concerned about the manager as I am about building from the ground up in the front office, in development, in those things. Manager's fine, but the manager's going to be taking care of things at the big league level. And I just don't think that the Royals are going to be able to do much right away at the big league level. Again, seven years, you have very little to show on your roster for what you've been doing for the last seven years that's ready to be like big time MLB contributors. I hope like hell that some of these young bats work out like Bobby Witt Jr. Looks the real deal. MJ Melendez looks the real deal. Vinny Pascantino looks the real deal. Maybe you get some good years out of Salvi, but it's not as much as people think unless those players really take the next step. That's fine. You got Brady singer in the rotation that you feel good about and crickets that you feel really good about after all that draft capital. So, what happens at the manager spot doesn't concern me as much as what happens at every other level and how they take a different approach to this because the old approach did not work and will not work. It'd be one thing, Tommy, if they had all this young talent rotating through that they were losing to free agency after a number of years, but that's not happening. Like They're not, they're not developing anything, big picture, and that's a problem. Obviously, yeah. and that's why we're seeing a house cleaning. But yeah, yeah. you gotta, it, 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 it's painful to even think about, but they almost have to start over here. Oh, yeah. And I, I hope I that they be, can get something out of what they've got, but man, it's gonna
2: be rough. Yeah. I hate to be the bearer of bad news to Royals fans out there. The rebuild has taken a, a big step back. This is a good first step, but it extends the, the timeline out quite a bit longer. They're not gonna contend next year. They're probably not going to contend the year after that. I mean, You're talking about a long-term rebuild with a new staff, a new manager. You've got a new front office and J.J. Piccolo taking over as GM. And who knows? Big decisions to be made about a lot of players outside of, well, maybe Bobby Witt Jr. That's about the only one that is probably secure. It's going to be an interesting time.
3: It is I. I – I, I'm usually very optimistic baseball fan. I have to be, but it's hard to find it right now. John Sherman, J.J. Piccolo, Godspeed because we need it. We need relevant baseball. Please get after it. Get it done. Let's go. Get it right, and let's get this thing on the right track again. All right, when we come back, our friend Chelsea Messenger, our betting insider, joins the show. We'll be back. We'll talk Thursday night football. We'll talk the Chiefs game and any other plays she might like on the pro football slate coming up this weekend. We'll do that next. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Castor, Jad Chambers Producing. We'll be right back. All right, and we welcome in our friend Chelsea Messenger, and Chelsea is powering through, battling for us today. A little under the weather, but Chelsea, it's Thursday night football, right? And we gotta, you know, you gotta—it's it's your flu game here. And we'll call it that. <laughs> How you feeling about tonight's contest?
0: Yeah, it's my flu game, and it's also kind of my Philip Rivers game because I feel like I have so many bets on this game. It's like Philip Rivers and kids. I got a lot of them. <laughs> not sure which one's my favorite, but I do like them all. Uh so yeah, really excited about Broncos Colt, a horse girl's dream as we have a horse on horse matchup.
3: Interesting I gotta ask you, Chelsea,
2: when, when you when you look at this game, uh it's hard for me. And I know that we've we talked quite a bit about how it's no fun to bet the under, right? Like it, you always want to cheer for a lot of points. I'm not sure that I would want to do anything with the over in this game. Where do you stand?
0: Yeah, I will be on the under in this one. The total opened at 43 and a half for this Broncos Colts game and 81% of the money is on the under it's moved to 42, 42 and a half in some spots. But if you're looking at both of these teams, they've really struggled, especially in the red zone. And especially with the Colts missing their biggest piece on their offense. And Jonathan Taylor is out for this one. And that puts more of the onus on Matt Ryan. And the thing is, You don't want to have to rely on the pass against the Broncos secondary. One of the best secondaries in the NFL, uh, uh, limiting opponents to just 5.3 yards per play. And they've only allowed three passing touchdowns. So I think it's going to put a lot of pressure on Matt Ryan, who has been very turnover prone, eight turnovers through just four games this season. So I don't see a lot of points in this one. I think that the sabotage factor is maybe Russell Wilson finally starts cooking, but usually this is a Colts defense that's pretty solid, so I would imagine we see an under in this one, and that's how it's gone in the prime time. Prime time unders this season nine and four, so I'll be on the under.
3: Yeah, I, I I don't know if I could, like Tommy said it's going to be hard to force myself to to bet an under, but I you know whatever. I, here's one I like, and and I'm feeling like it's probably one I like too much, and there's a reason. Jonathan Taylor's out, Naheem Hines is the backup, right? Like he's the guy, his rushing prop right now is 36 and a half yards, which I love the over there. His total yardage is 68 and a half, which feels like it could be protected by some receiving yards. Either of those interest you because they're really appetizing to me.
0: Yeah, I think I would go with rushing plus receiving because he's not really a between the tackles running back. He's more of a pass catching guy. I know this because he went to NC State. NC State guy. I'm an NC State girl, graduated from there. Uh, but yeah, I would go with rushing and receiving because obviously somebody's going to have to do something on offense. And clearly, I don't trust Matt Ryan. So I think Naheem Hines is going to get some run tonight. So I would lean towards the rushing plus receiving. That way, if he has a big receiving game, like we've seen in the past, so over the past couple of years, he's been a, a pretty good receiving threat. Uh, you have a little bit of a cushion as opposed to just rushing.
2: Chelsea on the other side of the ball for the Broncos and their running attack. They lost Javante Williams to a torn ACL. He's out for the entire season. We know Melvin Gordon has had fumbling issues, but it definitely looks like at least to me that the Broncos are going to have to lean on him a little bit more. Do you like any sort of player props with Melvin Gordon going into this game?
0: Yeah, there's a really popular one that a lot of people are on. It's Melvin Gordon's receiving prop. And I think it's because this numbers really low. It's 12 and a half yards, juicy over at minus 115. Uh, as we know, he can catch some passes. The problem is hanging on to the football, but uh, I do think we see him catch a couple of passes, and they've got to rely on somebody. It's just the question is, will they be running the ball uh, that much? Even though it looks like the Colts are maybe vulnerable against the run. They just gave up over 100 yards on the ground to Derrick Henry last game, but – I'm not going to sit here and say that Derrick Henry is the normal running back. Uh, so maybe that's not the case, but I do like Melvin Gordon over his receiving prop. Twelve and a half yards very low. I think they get him involved in the offense in the passing game as well.
3: Yeah, I, I, they, they've said as much, and I think they're going to give him a shot, so we'll see. Uh, if we're BetMGM is part of this show. I know you've got a lot of involvement with BetMGM. They have their first touchdown scorer prop tonight. Um, which is always a lot of fun, and it's, a, it's an insured bet. So you can bet up $25 to give it back to you. i have more on that in just a little bit. But I'm looking at this in a game that's at a touchdown premium probably anyway. I think I'm throwing my dart at Michael Pittman, um, and I know that's a little counterintuitive the way that the Broncos have defended the pass, but I'm just looking for some big – because I don't feel good about even the low odds guys in this one. I really don't know where to go, so I'm just going to go with the good player.
0: Yeah, uh, I see that. But like I said, the Broncos have only given up three passing touchdowns died. the entire season. He's but died. it's also built into the number. So, you know, it's 10-1 to 1 for a reason. First touchdown for Michael Pittman over a bit more safe. You go uh, either Melvin Gordon, obviously he's running back, probably going to run it in uh, for the Broncos, who are also favored in this game and also playing at home. So maybe they get off to a hotter start. Or maybe Naeem Hines. We see that he's a running yeah. back and he also can catch passes out of the backfield. He's 8-1 to one for first touchdown, so maybe another uh, option for you there for the Colts.
2: Talking to our betting insider, Chelsea Messenger here this morning. Chelsea, looking at the slate of games on Sunday, there are some really, really intriguing matchups this weekend, one of which I'm looking at is the Cowboys and the Rams. Right now, as it stands, the, the Cowboys are, are five-and-a-half-point dogs. What do you like in this game and what are you doing in this one?
0: This is an interesting one because it was four and a half and it's gone up to five and a half, which kind of bamboozles me. Because if you saw the problems that the Rams had on the offensive line of going against the Niners, it doesn't seem like a great matchup going against this Cowboys defense that's been really good at getting pressure on opposing quarterbacks. It's a really good Dallas Cowboys defense. So I think that's going to be the problem for the Rams. And plus you're getting five and a half points. Uh, I know Cooper Rush is probably going to regress at some point, but I think the defense and the team around him is good enough to at least cover this number. The Rams have been very disappointing this season. Cooper Cuff will still probably have a hundred yards receiving, but it hasn't translated to wins. So I'll go with the Cowboys getting the points here.
3: I I, I love that you said that because I'm, I'm, with you on that one. That was the one, one of the ones I had circled this week. Cooper cup. You mentioned him. I'm curious on him when you have a guy that's historically good and doing the things he's doing historically and seemingly unstoppable for opposing defenses. As far as getting his is the prop number ever going to get to a level with a guy like Cooper cup that you're uncomfortable with. Like, do, do guys like him and the way he's going present any opportunities for you as a prop play? Um, it, it just, like, it feels like he's going to catch 10 balls every week no matter what the defense does.
0: Well, we saw that last year, and he also had a historic season. So, at some point, he's not going to have a historic season every single year and every single game. He's already had an off game this year in which he didn't put up big numbers. I think he had, like, 50, 55 yeah, for uh, yards receiving, something Yeah, it was something that didn't sound like Cooper Cup. But last year we saw this in the props market. They said his numbers in the hundreds or 97, something crazy like that, and it still didn't matter because the, the thing is the opportunity is always there. That is a security blanket for Matt Stafford. So a lot of times when you're looking at prop bets, a good thing to look at is targets. How many times is this guy being targeted? And you'll see it with Cooper Cup. He is getting a lion's share of the targets especially with alan robinson being uh somewhat of a dis- disappointment they don't have obj this year so i think that is something you look at and right now he's getting all the targets the problem is you'll never get any value because it's always going to be a sky high number
2: chelsea how do you feel about sunday night football uh coming up with the ravens and the Bengals? right now the ravens are three-point home favorites so really it's it's a pick em. are you staying away from this game you like anything in it what do you what are you seeing?
0: I really want to lean to the Ravens in this one. Lamar Jackson has been really good in primetime, 18-2 and in primetime. The Ravens are under John Harbaugh, and, of course, Mm -hmm. Lamar Jackson is a big part of that. The only sabotage factor is I remember – Was it last year when Joe Burrow put up like five touchdowns and really stuck it to the Ravens? Uh, I think they're a little bit healthier this year. I know Marcus Peters is back on that secondary. That's really been the problem for the Ravens, though. They've given up a ton of passing yards. So once again, they're facing yet another dynamic quarterback because they've already had to face Josh Allen. They've already had to face Tua and Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell and company. So uh, maybe we see an over in this one, but I would lean towards the Ravens at home, especially since it's a short number, especially since it's a prime time, and especially uh, I really trust Lamar Jackson a little bit more than Joe Burrow right now.
3: And Chelsea, we, Chelsea, we can't let you go without talking the Chiefs. Monday Night Football, the Raiders, mm-hmm. the Chiefs have owned the Raiders in this matchup historically. Uh, but the Raiders are desperate. Seven's a pretty big number for a divisional game. You feeling anything in this one? 51 seems high to me, considering the Chiefs' defense has played fairly well. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Any, anything here that, that that gets your attention?
0: It looks like Kansas City minus seven all day. It's just the the history between these two teams is really telling. Uh, the Chiefs have outscored the Raiders 124-54, to 54. Uh, in the last three meetings, so it's not even been close, even though I will say uh, they're only 2-1 and against the number. So, yes, this is at a touchdown, but it's also a home game for the Chiefs, and uh, I think their defense looks a lot better this year. I think if they can get some pressure on Derek Carr, they can maybe cause some turnovers, because I think that's really the only prayer that Las Vegas has is to hopefully get Patrick Mahomes to turn over the ball, ball more, uh, but Kansas City, especially with the way that this defense is playing, I think I would lean towards Kansas City, laying the seven. It sounds like a big number, but if any offense can cover it, it's the Chiefs.
3: that's uh that's that's kind of what we're thinking here. we'll we'll see I, I I think you're right on that. I think you're right. uh, any more player props to leave us with Chelsea before we let you go. I know we appreciate you battling through for us today.
0: Uh, Yeah, I'll be on Matt Ryan under his passing prop, 227 and a half. Uh, I went on and on about the secondary of the Broncos, and I'm kind of leaning on that here, just because uh, it's a a secondary that really has the upper hand. And plus Matt Ryan has been a bit underwhelming. And when the the offense is more one-dimensional, when you don't have the defenses keying in on Jonathan Taylor, it's a lot harder to get the passing game going. I saw that with the Titans last year when Derek Henry was out. And I will say some of their fill-in running backs actually did a pretty solid job. But still, it takes the eyes of the defense. You know, it's easier to key in on Matt Ryan. And his turnovers have been really terrible, eight turnovers through four games. So I'm going to go under his passing prop, 227.5 tonight on Thursday night football as well.
3: All right, Chelsea. Well, we appreciate it. Feel better. Enjoy the game tonight. And we'll see if uh, your boy Naheem Himes, go Wolfpack, can get it done (laughs) for us.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
3: All right. That was the host of the Daily Tip and Odyssey Sports Betting insider, Chelsea Messenger. Insider Calls presented by BetMGM. Go check out all the latest lines today on the bet MGM app speaking of that we mentioned that first touchdown score prop well football fans you can turn a loss into a win with the king of sportsbooks just place a single first touchdown score prop bet on any pro football game on Thursdays or Mondays so here we go tonight if your bet loses you'll receive up to $25 back in free bets this offer available all season long wager confidently. Take your game to the next level with BetMGM. Just log into your account, download the BetMGM app, and sign up today. Wager on any player to score the first touchdown in any pro football game, and if your bet misses, you'll get up to $25 back in free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Kansas only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700 in partnership with the kansas crossing casino and hotel my money's with michael Pittman tonight but it's insurance so i'm not too worried about it we'll come back sports daily jake ball brockton tommy Caster rolls on 97
1: 5 5- 12-
3: Welcome back in, everybody. Sports Daily. Jacob Albrock, Tommy caster KFH. Thursday Night Football. Let's finish up there. Uh, a lot of Broncos fans in the area. Broncos are favored here. I'm going to be at my daughter's uh, music concert, Tommy, so I probably won't watch a lot of this game, and it ain't breaking my heart. We'll put it that way.
2: <laughs> can I uh, Can I join you at the music uh, con- yeah. concert so I don't have to watch?
3: Yeah. Uh, it, I, I don't know. You know, I don't want to pile too much on. It's it's more that all so many key players are hurt than it is these two teams particularly. But Jonathan Taylor's out. Javante Williams is out. And the teams have struggled thus far. And they've looked, you know, minuscule on offense. It just... And, and this is probably the reason it'll be a shootout, right? But it feels like a game that's just going to be rough to watch.
2: Yeah, I'm not excited about this game at all. Maybe like seven or eight years ago with Matt Ryan and Russell Wilson squaring off against each other. If it was the Falcons and the Seahawks like in 2015, I would have been all about it. Um, But yeah, Matt Ryan has looked really bad. Russell Wilson, outside of a handful of drives, has not looked good. No Javante Williams, no Melvin Gordon, no Shaq Leonard. Um, You know, and I guess the only intriguing thing for me is that I I, kind of feel like both coaches are under quite a bit of pressure. Frank Reich uh, has been a massive disappointment this season, and Nathaniel Hackett has been under quite a bit of controversy through his first few games. So that's about the only thing that I think is intriguing is the coaching matchup. But other than that, yeah, I'm not looking forward to this at all. Uh, You know, it it is a meaningful game, though,
3: because you've got two teams that feel like they need to be contenders. and, And, you know, maybe they can get there. By the time this season comes to a close, which team do you think is more like? Because these are—it's it, a really interesting matchup in the sense that these teams are basically in the exact same situation, right? Which of the two, though, ultimately do you think could get to their level of expectation? I—I kind of think it's the Colts at this point. One, the division they play in, but two, there's not really like. Denver, Indy, it's it's pretty clear what is going wrong with them, and that's their offensive line has been so bad. Denver, though, I don't know if Denver's fixable, right? Denver, you're beginning to wonder, like, are, are they going to be in big trouble with this Russell Wilson contract? And is Nathaniel Hackett the wrong hire? Like, the problems and the concerns for Denver, even though they've had a better year, I think, up to this point, seem worse to me than the problems in Indianapolis. I you know, I think if if the Colts could figure out a way to block it up a little bit for Matt Ryan and give him time, I, I think they're a little closer to being a real I I don't know. Am I off on that or, or what's the sense you get with these two?
2: Uh I mean I don't think so. I I don't think either team is any good. And I don't think either team is going to be any good this year. But I think for the Colts it comes down to how healthy and effective can Jonathan Taylor be down the stretch? Like that's going to be the biggest question. I mean, when you compare the, the franchise players, the superstars on both teams, the Colts have Jonathan Taylor, the Broncos don't that's, that's what's going to put the Colts above and beyond for me to play up to their potential, but it's going to be a matter of how healthy he is. Can the offensive line start to block for him a little bit more? And can Matt Ryan be a compliment for him? So he doesn't have to try to do everything himself. If all those things can happen, then yeah, I think the Colts could maybe play to their potential a little bit more than the Broncos could. I don't think either team is that great or that good. I don't think either team has the opportunity to do great things this season, but if you're going to have me pick one or the other, I'll pick Indy right now. Okay,
3: yeah, so we agree on that. I, I don't know. It could be a statement game for either of them, too. There's entry. We're making fun of the way the game could be played, but there, there's plenty on the line for these teams. Somebody could make a major statement tonight. And or they both are the same level of stink that we get a competitive game. So it's not, you know, it's, it's an interesting game, if nothing else. All right, let's take a quick break. We're going to switch to college football because we've got our K-State insider, Tim Fitzgerald. Go PowerCat.com. Fitz joins us next to look ahead to Farmageddon. Always one of the favorites on the K-State schedule every year. We'll take a look at that when we return on Sports Daily.
1: We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month. with Eligible trade-in when you switch.